You are listening to episode two of the official Sasta podcast brought to you by the godfather of Sass himself, Jason Lemkin, and hosted by me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC. This is the show that delves inside the world of all things Sass to reveal the trials and tribulations, insights and tactics from the most prominent founders and operators in Sass. In addition, we'll be speaking to the men bankrolling these incredible missions, the VCs and investors themselves, discovering what metrics they require, what they look for in potential SaaS investments, how they look to add value, and much, much more. Now, in today's episode, I have to say it is a special one. Joining me is Andy Lark. Now, where do I start with Andy? He's the CMO at Zero, named Australia's most innovative company and the world's fastest growing SaaS company and leader in online accounting. For the past two decades, Andy has worked alongside CEOs to define and Obtain digital and brand greatness for their institutions, and he's done immensely well at doing so with the likes of Air New Zealand. Dell, Sun Microsystems, Visa, and many, many more incredible global companies. He's built some of the world's most successful e-commerce sites and online communities, including the world's most successful e-wallet for smartphones and Facebook. What else can I say? He really is a global brand leader, and today he shares all of that with us and how he's adopted that to his work today with Zero. It's a special interview, and we hope you enjoy it. Good. Perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Andy, a very warm welcome to the show and a big congrats on the recent role at Zero. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Hey, you're welcome. Glad to be here. I'd love to kick off today's show by hearing a bit about your background now and, and how you came to be the CMO at Zero. Yeah, sure. So my background is, uh, you know, been building companies all my life, landing inside big companies, then escaping Big companies typically to go build something again. So it's, as they say, life is a squiggly line and uh, mine's been real squiggly. So I've done some very big CMO roles, uh, helped uh, run and found New Zealand's largest venture capital firm. I've done a ton of investing, uh, built successful startups in Silicon Valley and seen those exit uh, nicely. Uh, and I came to be involved with Zero. oh gosh, before it was born. Uh, Rod and I sat down and talked for hours about the market, the opportunity, what we needed to do it, and uh, have been involved since the very, very beginning. And a few years ago, uh, as I left one of my big big gigs, uh, Rod came and grabbed me and said, hey, give us a hand. We're really trying to accelerate growth in the US market. And I sort of jumped back in and now today run marketing and the business at zero. So sales, marketing, partnering, all that kind of stuff, education, all all the stuff that is involved with – sort of getting the product to market and getting it in the hands of more customers. And I have to ask here, entrepreneurial spirit is clearly, you know, uh, inherent within you, uh, within your career and switching companies and moving between rocket ships. Do you think that's a common feature among uh, marketing and sales people? No, it's really not. Um, Mostly we seek comfort and um, uh, longevity in roles. And, and really early on in my career, I was lucky enough to work for a great young woman entrepreneur who sort of said to me, hey, look, the best advice I can give you is um, go seek experiences, don't uh, look for jobs. Um, and way back then, you know, 25 years ago, that was unusual advice because most of us were thinking we were looking for a gig that we could retire from one day with a watch and a nice little house on the beach. And Absolutely. Her, her advice at that time was, no, go be an entrepreneur 
Uh, and be entrepreneurial, right? Even if you go work in a big company, be entrepreneurial and seek amazing experiences. And if you don't get those experiences, get out of there. Don't um, don't ever get into the slipstream and just cruise. So when adding to the sales and marketing team, do you look for like-minded people with your entrepreneurial flat? No, you've got to be actually quite careful. Um, you've really got to figure out what you're looking for someone to do in any given particular role. And so uh, what I do is, yeah, look, ideally they've got to be, uh, they've got to be self-starters. They've got to understand that if they're ever wondering who needs to do the work, they just need to look in a mirror. Uh, they'll see the, all the resources they need right in front of them. You, you need that kind of person, uh, but you also need people with very, very different skill sets and mindsets, right? So uh, the worst thing you could do is hire a big bunch of entrepreneurs that are all cut from the same cloth because without diversity, these um, – these startups don't do well. Entrepreneurial ventures don't do well. And a, a great example of this is like sales ops, where in sales operations, some of the best people you hire come out of these big traditional companies, say Dell, where they've just had it banged into them from day one, how you run sales operations and the rigor of numbers and hard, cold decisions. Uh, and, they, you know, they don't mask the truth. They call a spade a spade. And you know, they, they just because they haven't got that entrepreneurial bent doesn't mean that they're not enormously valuable to you. Mm -hmm. So you bake diversity well into the hiring process. Yeah, you've got to really early on. Yeah, and I'd love to hear about some structure then behind behind you and your operations. So how how do you structure the team in terms of the marketing across what different roles and responsibilities? Yeah, so the way we the way we run Zero is a little different to other ventures um, in the sense that if you look at a, say a Twitter or Facebook, um, they have a very traditional American kind of structure. So you've got a big headquarters in Singapore that runs Asia Pacific. The people at the edge do as they're told from the core. They've got resources spread all over the place. We run this literally. We're in, a, in a very highly empowered way. So in other words, Australia runs Australia. Like you, you, We are here, we have a very small, light team at the core mm -hmm. that's here to help you achieve your goals, to provide governance, to provide guidance. But largely what we seek to do is get out of your way. Mm -hmm. And so everyone lines up inside a region. We try to uh, reduce and eliminate as much of the cost as we can at a corporate and operating level and really uh, run each country um, as a highly entrepreneurial micro zero. And the, re the reason that's so important is the kind of scale and growth we're trying to achieve uh, is not for the faint of heart and really can only be done in the context of the field, right? And so that becomes really, really important. And then we try to encourage sharing of best practices and data across the different countries. And, you know, occasionally we have to say, look, we're looking to do X in all markets by this time. But that should be the exception and not the rule. You know, we let these, we empower these teams to go for it. Like we, we were joking the other day, I was, I was hiring a, 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 a person to come in and run one of our newer countries. And I said to him, like, you'll be a founder of zero in your country. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of like Google's with Alphabet, isn't it? Incentivizing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Like you own it, you run it. You're a founder of X, and yeah, we're super excited to give you the product and the backing and the support you need to achieve what you've got to achieve. Does that make it difficult to assure this, ensure the same kind of quality hiring and quality throughout the world as you maybe may have had in the original days with you and Rod and, and the founding team? 
Uh, not really, because what we sort of obsess over are top grading of the numbers. And so a great example is I was looking through the numbers the other day that compare our inside sales teams uh, around the world. And as we were comparing that performance of the different inside sales teams, you know, you can go, hey, this team over here, while wow, they're rocking, uh, they're doing really an amazing job. Um, and so you just go, okay, cool. Everyone now needs to meet that level of performance. And so each of the individual teams are constantly marching to whoever's the best performer. So do you ingrain competition within the sales teams? Yeah, fierce competition. So they're all looking at each other's numbers and going, okay, no, I'm really number one because of this. And you're like, well, not so much. You know, there's a fine line between hero and goat, you know. So, <laughs> you know um, and we spoke about the role of marketing there, and we said slightly about kind of guiding customers. And, and the role of marketing in SaaS has expanded enormously in the last few years. Now, in, in particular, encapsulating, you know, content marketing, evangelist recruitment, customer lifecycle yeah. marketing, all these. Where do you stand on this expansion of the marketing role? And where do you tend to find yourself most? So I think the idea of marketing is thankfully being completely reinvented in the context of SaaS businesses, which is long overdue. Every business should be doing it. You know, and, and, and where I spend my time most is whatever is on the OKR list for the next three to six month window. And then I'm generally looking out two years going, okay, what do I need to have in place to hit the kind of growth numbers we're looking to hit two to three years out? Because I know it's going to take me six months to find people, six months to rank them, six months to get partners and, you know, momentum in a market. So I'm looking much further out often. But I still find myself spending a lot of time on lots of, smaller things just because I enjoy it, but also because, uh, you know, the brand and what brand means in the context of a SaaS company is really important because you have less wriggle room to mess with the brand, right? Because you're you're not out buying TV ads and you're not running around squandering money on all kinds of crazy things. Every dollar counts. And so you spend a bit more time right in the granular detail of videos and content saying, will that work? Does that really convey the brand, how we want to convey it? You said that about the reinvention of marketing in the SaaS ecosystem. How how have you seen that? What particularly, which, which methods particularly have evolved and how has it transitioned? Well, it's been really interesting in the last three years. SaaS SAS, SAS marketing has been entirely reinvented. If you think about SaaS marketing 1.0, it was all about demand generation and everyone was running around talking leads and lead count and trial volume and funnels and conversion rates, right? And it took about five years to get that through the system and everyone to understand that was just um, business as usual. Then you saw everyone running around trying to trying to embrace content and drive super efficiency in social and media and search through earned content and the like. And then finally, everyone figured out that costs just as much as taking out a TV ad. So um, they've got far more smarter about their attribution models and the like. And today, um, I view marketing inside these SaaS companies, and including Xero, as what I call platform orchestrators. So you're really trying to orchestrate the brand across all the platforms that are available to you from you know, fantastic search and direct digital acquisition through to partner channels. And you're trying to orchestrate the, the experience 
of customers and partners on this really diverse set of platforms that are available to you. And you're constantly sitting there going, okay, how do I optimize those platforms to deliver me the lowest possible MAC or marketing acquisition cost? And how does that MAC affect my SAC, which is my sales acquisition cost, which together A plus B equals your SAC, which is, sorry, your CAC, which is your total acquisition cost. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of yourself as this person orchestrating this platform and you come to that platform with no beliefs, right? You, You can't come and going, Google's the answer, Facebook's the answer, TV's the answer, and you start rethinking how to best orchestrate the platform against the expectations you have for demand, you start to behave in not typical ways. And, and, you know, so you, and you look at a great example of this is Slack. You know, Slack is out running ads in Business Week and Fortune, and, you know, they're clearly hunting in the big enterprise game. Um, whereas for us, we're trying to acquire small businesses which are amongst the hardest segment in the world to acquire, but we're doing it at scale and in incredible volume. So we've kind of figured out how to orchestrate that platform really, really well. And talking of those platforms, what's the most effective in terms of the lowest CAC for the highest conversion? I get asked that question all the time. And, you know, it's funny, you probably get this too because you interview lots of people and I, I speak at lots of events and people ask you questions and you go, you know, and you always say, that's a really good question. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what I, what I always say is that's a really stupid question because if I knew I'd never tell you, I'd write a, I'd, I'd write a secret code <laughs> and I'd put, I'd put it in a Dropbox account that you could only access after you'd sent me a million dollars. Or you could write a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or I could just write a book and it wouldn't matter if it was true anyway and everyone would just buy the book. That, that is the million-dollar question. And the, and the simple answer is what you think works today, in three months' time you look back and go, oh, I should have tweaked that more, I should have done that differently, oh, my gosh, we've got this new piece of creative that's really resonating. Gosh, I wish I'd done that three months ago. So just when you think you've got it figured out, um, the ball of string unravels and becomes all messy again. So uh, I, the simple answer is um, I wish I knew. Uh, but what I do know is, what I do know is, is that the traditional mix in SaaS of all in on digital, so 80%, 90% of your mix in digital is largely dead as an idea. And that creating the right above the line media mix for your messaging mixed with digital, mixed with content is is by far the, the magic source right now. Um, and, we, you know, whenever we're in market with really good, effective above the line work, whether that's out of home, underground tubes, in metro environments, you can immediately see uplifts right across the board. Uh, in, in all your acquisition. The trick now, though, that everyone is turning the dials on is really figuring out what do you do with display, right? And how much do you dial back display and shift to alternate mediums? And I would say that no one has really figured out the power of Facebook yet. I think Facebook is a massively untapped medium for reaching small, micro, even medium-sized businesses, Um if, if Twitter had a better sales machine, they might be able to convince people that they could they could also play well there, but so far not so much. Um, Are you making deliberate attempts to harness that platform? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, 
you know, they're expensive to play on now, you know. I mean, really expensive. I, uh, I remember when I first, you know, I was one of the first marketers using Twitter and Facebook to sell products and building communities there in the millions. And, wow, it was really cost-effective. And now you just shudder at the cost of, uh, of a campaign there. But still, even with that cost, they are very, very effective places to go and acquire customers. And I think largely marketers... As a whole, when I look around the SaaS universe and I talk to CMOs, really haven't figured out how to crack the code on on these new media channels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'd love to dive into a, a kind of a round of quick questions we call the churn. Yeah, yeah. So the biggest challenge you face today in your role? Uh, where to put the next dollar and how to take a dollar out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's simply the biggest challenge every day is – is your, because the difference between a, a SaaS marketer and a non-SaaS marketer comes down to this. Marketers, let's say you went and you worked at IBM or you worked at Dell or you worked at HP or you worked at EMC or you were pick any of the big tech brands, mm-hmm. you're not really a growth marketer. The kind of growth you're experiencing is very, very small. You know, we're growing in the 60 70% range in some of our biggest markets over 100%. I mean, this is massive growth when you're talking about 200 million plus ARR and, you know, you're, you're building a seriously scaled business. So you're constantly asking, is that the best use of my next dollar in and where can I take a dollar out? <laughs> uh, that, that is the question. I, I, think it's, I think it's when I wake up in the morning, I ask that question and it quickly leads to my second big question I'm constantly struggling with, which is do we have the right people and um, who's got the best talent and how do I get them? And then which market are you most excited for with Zero? Where are you seeing most potential? Oh, I think, look, our big four markets still excite me every day because we are, we are perfect glove fits for those markets. So, you know, Australia, New Zealand, the US and the UK. The UK is really exciting right now for us mm-hmm. because we're past the tipping point on the growth curve there with a market leader. But I, it, it, nearly every country I go to, I get really excited about. Um, you know, you, you know, the other day I turned up in a, in a particular European com- country and I was talking to the head of a major bank and he said, you know, well, we should go out and do a market test with you and see what the appetite for zero is. And I said, well, just a second, I'll just find my head of sales ops and check and see how many people we've got in your country. He said, oh, you won't have any because you're not in our language. You don't have bank feeds. You don't have all the things. I said, I'll just check. So we've got 1,800 customers, active <laughs> customers in your country. He's like, oh, my God, really? That's incredible. You know, like, so suddenly you're really excited about this little European country with really good ski fields, and you're like, woohoo! You know? <laughs> That's brilliant. So I, I get excited every day about all the markets, really, that we're in. And then what SaaS blog, podcast, newsletter is, is the must for you? What's your favourites? Oh, yours, Harry? Oh, oh thank you so much, Andy. Oh, yeah, no, no. That's no, 20 really. bucks. Yours is, yours is just okay. Didn't want to. <laughs> no, no. Um, I am, um, you know, the thing I like actually about your pod- podcast that I wish more podcasters did was made them bloody shorter yeah. um, because there's a lot of amazing content out there. But these this trend towards the hour and a half, two-hour podcast. It's a long time. To, it's enough to send you off the deep end. I don't quite get it. But I, I, do, I do enjoy Tim Ferriss's podcast, but uh, I often speed through it um, and, and listen to chunks of it. Um, so I do enjoy that. I like the Harvard Business Review um, Entrepreneur Podcast Series. They do a really good one. I quite 
I find that, you know, every third one is really good, the other two not so good. And then I listen to a lot of funky ones, you know, like uh, Rich Roll has got a really good podcast. Again, way too long. You just speed through it. Um, and, oh, God, there's just so many. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge podcast listener. I just, I just love them. And then lessons learned most recently. What, what's been added to the, to the list of lessons learned? Oh, my gosh, so many. I think the, 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 the big lesson um, that we probably reflect on the most is just evolution of all these marketing tech platforms. So whether you're talking about Marketo, DoubleClick, Google, whatever the tech platform you're talking about, Matt, has not come with a requisite increase in talent capable of operating and using those platforms. So the amount of time we're going to have to invest in training and education is off the charts um, because there's no question that marketing automation or the automation of all kinds of marketing activities uh, and the integration of marketing and the product, right, is, is the new frontier, right? How do you integrate marketing completely into the product and largely automate virality and engagement inside the product as a marketer? That's off the charts, right? That That is your single biggest point of yield as a SaaS marketer. But boy, finding the talent to run and operate these platforms safely and well, is, it's hard going. And so probably my biggest takeaway of late is the amount of time and energy we're going to have to put into training uh, really amazing resources over the next two years is going to be really, really steep. And then work-life integration. What do you mean by this? I don't believe in it. I think it's the silliest idea in the, in the world. Um, people for years have been going on about, um, um, you know, balance and things like that. I just don't believe in it. I, I think that um, the best businesses enable you to completely integrate work and life together into one. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think, and I think that's the question you were asking me, and I probably just immediately jumped to the question I normally get. Ask, which is around work-life balance. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, That's it. Which, which elicits a, a, a very bad response from me most times. But um, I, what I believe in there, and I see this with Rod, I see this with myself, is the more you can integrate the work in your life together, the better off you are. Um, and so, you know, I did a call with one of my team this afternoon, and she's over in Bondi um, working out of home today. I'm sitting at my office working out. We don't need to go to the office. And that affords me a much better quality of life, right? And I, so I think this idea that like today I might work really hard and have a long, lot of meetings going into tonight, but you know um, tomorrow I'll take it a bit easier. I'll do I'll do other stuff, you know, during during the day. I'll fit other other things in. And I, I just think this idea that um, you have to keep work like work and life separate is crazy. I think the more you can bring them together, and and you know we say to people like if if you're into skiing and there's a great ski snow day on a Thursday and you want to go skiing, go skiing and make it up elsewhere in the week, as long as it doesn't disrupt the whole team and cause the business to stop. Um, you know, in, integrate your work and your life together and you can do really amazing things. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I completely agree with that view. And and I'd love to dive back into one more like kind of longer style yeah. question and take a more general view of the space now. And I think it'd be fascinating to hear how, from your kind of incredible career, um, with some incredible companies, your take on the differences between the old enterprise software world and selling to SaaS to SMEs now. W- what are your thoughts on this? Do you have to adopt a radically different approach or are there transferable elements? Uh, you have to adopt a radically different approach. Um, and you actually have to give a shit about the customer. 
And I don't think most large enterprises care that much about the customer. I think they largely care about shifting inventory, shifting kit, supporting the weird world they built. The, the, the technical debt and the operational debt of a large company is staggering. So our ability to pivot quickly, to, to, to address customer concerns quickly, to continually innovate and release. You know, if you're a traditional old world software company that is trying to make a right angle turn into SaaS, you're going to discover that that road is actually squiggly, deep, high, <laughs> and very, very dangerous. Um, and not only that, you're just not geared to operate in, in the kinds of ways a SaaS company will operate. And look, our, our starting point, whenever you're a, a, a SaaS company building to scale, your starting point is building remarkable products, really, really remarkable products that change the way people think, feel, behave. And I get out there and I talk to customers and I tell everyone this, the number one phrase people use in their first sentence when they talk to me about zero is love. They say, I love it. I just love this product. It's just, it's changed everything for me. So if you're focused as a, a zero on transforming customer experiences and building these really remarkable bonds with your customers through the product, and let's say you're one of the older world players, whether you're a sage or an intuit, and your starting point is actually, how do I convince all these customers to go from this aging desktop platform I've got to the cloud? It's really not about building love. It's about efficiently driving conversion and optimizing your development teams and resources and a hundred other things, right? Mm-hmm. You're not so concerned with building a product people fall in love with, whereas we have to do that because that's the source of differentiation. That's how, that's how we create competitive advantage. So I look down the stack of traditional enterprise companies and I think they're largely in real trouble. The, the real eye-opener for me, I know I'm giving a long answer here, but the real eye-opener for me was about five years ago, four years ago, I can't remember now, I went to work for the largest bank in um, down under called Commonwealth Bank of Australia, really big bank, at the time the third biggest bank by market cap in the world. And it was a really interesting experience having spent, you know, decades in enterprise tech to go into an environment. And I, I thought the CIO and all the exec team would all be sitting around talking about, you know, Cisco and EMC and Dell and wanting to have meetings. And you get in there and they they didn't even, it never came up. They were interested in going to Silicon Valley and meeting with Facebook and seeing LinkedIn and seeing venture funds. They, they had no interest in traditional enterprise tech. And that's what blew me away was you just suddenly realise that the echo chamber that you live in when you're a big business is absolutely deafening. And I, and I think that is, whereas when you're a small staff startup, you live with your customers. There is no echo chamber. You live with them every day. And I think that's something that's almost impossible for a large enterprise software or hardware vendor to replicate or compete with. Well, seriously, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, super. Look forward to it. Well, have a lovely evening, and uh, I hope you get that work-life balance. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I'll I'll speak to you soon, Andy. Thanks. See you, mate. Please hang up and try again. 
And again, I'd like to give a huge hand to Andy for giving up his time today to be on the show. It was absolutely fantastic to hear his immense journey with Zero and his marketing strategies and views of how the SMB market has changed. Please do check out the next episode of the official SASTA podcast. We have Mark Jean, founder and CEO at Cloud Elements, joining us to discuss the transition that a SaaS startup has to make when making the move from a 50-man to a 500-man company. What does it take and what can this startup do to retain that startup culture yet scale effectively? We'd love to hear what you think of the show and you can head over to sasta.com for everything SaaS and the home of this show. Thank you so much for all your support and we look forward to seeing you in our next episode with Mark Jean.